You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White and Blue podcast. I am not Oz Davis again. Uh, he is still out and about as as we go, but uh, I am Joe Pritchard. I am one of the co-hosts of the show, and joining me this week is Two and Out podcaster and Rock of the West host, Travis Curra. Hey, Travis. thanks for having me on, Joe. It's good to see you again and talk yeah, to you. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. Probably, what, Grey Cup last year? Since I saw you, uh, I feel... Did I not have you on for training camp? I, I don't know. Maybe it has been great cup time it may, flies, it, <laughs> it may have been. I remember being on once or twice last year. I just don't remember if it was training camp this year or what have you. But uh, I, love, I love joining you, and I'm glad you're joining me. Hey, it's good to be on Rouge, White, and Blue. Thanks for asking me to come on. Yeah, the, the, the one benefit ever so often of not having a co-host is we get to kind of we get to kind of share we get to kind of bring in and mix and match the cfl or the canadian football podcast network so glad yeah. glad to be doing that again uh but let's get right into the games from last week uh i think i don't think a lot of people had high expectations for hamilton at ottawa and it sure didn't deliver did it <laughs> It's not to say that there weren't plays made, though. I mean, a, a lot of it just happened to be defense or happened to be mistakes. There was a lot going on, but 28 combined points. You would like to see a, a few more points on the board. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, I did ask Josh. I had Josh Smith from Podsky Wee Wee on last week. I did ask him what Hamilton was good at, and they decided to answer me by saying, we know how to tackle because that's one thing they did very well. Dustin Crumb still made some plays, but he wasn't able to shake off as many defenders as he had in the past few weeks. So that might have been the difference right there. I mean, we're talking about a difference of five yards in this game, but the Hamilton being able to keep Dustin Crumb from uh, constantly thrashing them on the ground was the difference in this. Yeah, they they seem to have a spy on him. It, it's not like he didn't have success. He still had over 80 yards on the ground and he had six yards of carry, but it's not like when he was playing Winnipeg or when he was playing, uh, was it Calgary that, yeah. uh, they had, uh, that other overtime win. Hamilton just seemed to figure him out a little bit better. He still had some success and he took some hits. And I, I have to assume that, uh, Ottawa is going to want to figure that out in a hurry, but you're right. It seemed like Thurman was on crumb a lot and uh, able to limit his ground success. It's funny when a quarterback gets 82 yards, you're thinking that's still a pretty good day at the office when it comes to a quarterback rushing, but it just, it, it wasn't enough for the Ottawa offense. No, they were having some struggles moving the ball through the air. Yeah. And it wasn't all on Dustin Crumb. He was putting the ball where it needed to be, but there was a few times there was receivers hung him out to dry too. 
Yeah, the, I look at Shaq Evans, who made his return from the injured list. He had one catch on five targets, um, and they're going to get some more help. I, I'm sure we'll get to it. Braylon Addison activated off the six-game injured list, and he's had a tough journey back to getting on the field. I, I'm definitely rooting for him, um, but it, they haven't been able to get Jalen Acklin. You think of the season he had last year for the Red Blacks, not able to get him the ball, I feel, enough. And you're right, when uh, your second leading receiver is the running back with 43 yards and two catches, uh, (laughs) not having the best day through the air. And I think defenses, now they're going to force Dustin Crum to attempt to beat them through the air. That might be what defenses are going to do to the Red Blacks going forward. And it seems like that was what, and just to throw to another team that's been struggling to move the ball through the air this year, that's what teams were doing to Calgary for the past until the past few weeks here when they started to open up their offense but now teams are going to make Ottawa take the top off of them before they are before they're before they'll open up the middle again yeah exactly and then you look at Hamilton I mean Bo comes back 353 yards but you and I know that the glaring statistic is five interceptions by five different players on the Red Blacks and one of them, sure, the receiver bobbles it. It pops the wrong yeah. way. Those things happen. But after four others that were put in positions for the defense to make the play, it's a little bit easier to just shrug that off and go, yeah, but <laughs> still five interceptions. Yeah. <laughs> that one sequence where Brandon Dandridge picks off Bo and then he fumbles it. Tie cats recover next play. It's a 75 yard touchdown to Kyle Loxley. So that's what I mean. Like there was some crazy happenings. It was it, it was an interesting game. Yeah. It wasn't one that lit up the scoreboard. Uh, but I yeah. think even the more important statistic out of all of this is Bo back on the sixth game. And what a senseless play. And and there is sort of some conflicting information on this. Like it had been said that Orlando Steinauer thought that Bo would go out and kneel the ball. Now, painting the picture, they were on the two-yard line. Mm-hmm. So there's not much room to kneel the ball. You could see a red-black defender just – they could disrupt it and force a fumble, and all of a sudden they got a, you know, a touchdown. It could happen. But Bo does a quarterback sneak, and I ask you, Joe, when's the last time – You've seen Bo Mitchell run a quarterback sneak. I, and when's the last time he ran willingly? Well, yeah. So it, I don't know. I, to me, that's on Steinauer. If what's been said is true, you can't just assume your player is going to go out in the victory formation, right? Yeah, there's there's enough smoke there to make it seem like there's something not quite right from what from their statement to what actually happened on the field I, I i what was it it was under 20 seconds so two kneel downs and the second yeah. one can be in the end zone because right because it's a four-point game but the first one in the field to play but still you got enough room for that you, i can't understand that and i i guess i was kind of frustrated too uh i don't know how you feel about it javon santos knox comes over the top and didn't really see he needed to do that, you know? 
Uh, maybe I'm not feeling that way if Bo doesn't get hurt, but he flies over the top of the pile and lands on his leg, and he's he's already had surgery, so just terrible luck for him. I mean, I, it's definitely not the season he imagined in Hamilton. I'm sure he came in with, you know, a chip on his shoulder, and early on looked all right. He was kind of tor- torching Ottawa down the middle of the field, and they had that nice touchdown to Duke Williams, and then for him to play one game and have it end that way. And they, they say he'll be able to play again this season, but not an ideal situation for the team hosting the Grey Cup in November. No, and that was the whole idea of getting Bo in the first place. He yeah. was a gamble at this point because Calgary's already given up on him, but they mm-hmm. were going for it all. And now the playoffs are still in the picture because there's a lot of teams at the bottom of this league this year. There so is. somebody's <laughs> going to have to be sixth, but... <laughs> Yikes. It's not, not what it's. This isn't the game plan they had for the season. To throw five interceptions, to rush for 12 yards with your starting running back and still win the game. I, that that just shows what the Ticat defense did to the Ottawa offense, right? And yeah, it, I, maybe it, they it set threw the me back. Here. It threw me back until the mid 2010s where that defense was just dynamic. They were fierce, and I think Mark Washington had been feeling the heat a little bit up until this point, especially early in the season. I don't know if the Ticat defense was performing up to expectations, but the last couple of games, they've definitely turned it on. Yeah, and and maybe they're going to answer that question that I had. What is Hamilton good at? Well, they can still play defense, and right now that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're going to need it in the, the tight race that's happening. Do Joe, do you think it's possible that East team crosses over to the West? It's in play. It, to- it it's, is. It's totally in play. <laughs> Which and I'm sure we'll incredible. pick at this throughout the show, but Saskatchewan's on their backup. Calgary is going to take the road of death at two and five. Their next four weeks are a disaster for them as far as the schedule goes. Yeah. And then there's Edmonton. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot to be played. Saskatchewan, Hamilton, and Ottawa have the exact same record. And look, they, they've they've all and got eleven games to go, but still. And it's a long season, so Yeah. Somebody could find something somewhere. Things are gonna change, but right now it's so tight for the last couple playoff spots. It's gonna be a lot of fun to watch play out. Yeah. Been an interesting season with the East Division, I think, winning 8 of 12 against the West so far, which is kind of a... And that doesn't happen very often, but I'm all for it. Let's shake this up a little bit. Yeah, I love this parody. Keep it going. (laughs) Yeah, one team that isn't digging the parody thing, though, is Toronto. They are, what, 6-0 now? Is that correct? 6-0? Undefeated for the first time since 1935. (laughs) I don't know if there are any Argo fans that were around in 35 that are still here today, but that's wild. <laughs> we're having a lot of things go back to way back when this year, uh, but Toronto's dominance, it's really kind of good to see given that it, it's its a market that's always struggled for attendance in the past 20 years, maybe even longer, but they've also been a team that when they make the playoffs, they're a threat for the cup, but then sometimes they're just not that great. But they haven't had a really, really dominant season, probably since Flutie. 
Yeah, and they they always seemed since the Flutie days, they'd follow up a Grey Cup win with a subpar season. And now it seems like they're just establishing some consistency with Ryan Dinwiddie, who was recently extended. And since he's been coach of the Argos, they've been first in the East, 2021, 2022. And right now it's looking good. They're going to be first in the East again. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that I can't think of a way anybody catches him because Dinwiddie's got them in such a high level that he took Chad Kelly, who has talent but doesn't have the experience and makes it and is making him look like a superstar in his first uh, extended run as a CFL uh, starting quarterback. Right now, I think there are only, I guess there are four teams that have been able to have their week one starter still playing. And those happen to be uh, the Argos, the Bombers, the Alouettes, and, uh, it's the Stampeders. The Stamps are really the only team that's uh, below expectations, I think. I think the Owls at 500 is about as good as anybody would have thought they would be at this point in the year. But it is critical that the Argos keep Chad Kelly healthy. I, I think he's better than everybody thought he would be. But what's behind him and how the other teams have faced injuries so far this season, it's absolutely critical to keep swag Kelly on the field for the Argos. That's for sure. Right. But I would also trust Ryan Dinwiddie to take a guy. I, I couldn't even name their back quarterback right now. Cause that's all we've been talking about is Chad Kelly in Toronto right now. But I would have faith in Ryan Dinwiddie to be able to take a backup for a month and keep the team afloat. Basically my theory is that the backup's got to play longer than a month. There's a problem, but in the CFL, you should expect the backup to play about that many games. Well, you know, he comes in, I think it's Cameron Dukes. He's been in on some short yardage plays anyway. And if he does come in, he comes into a pretty good situation. The running back tandem of A.J. Olette and Andrew Harris. The defense, I mean, the the special teams, Javon Leak had a return in touchdown Atlantic for a touchdown. So uh, it is a good situation for a young quarterback to come in. I don't think that the Argos rely on a dynamic passing attack or in a 350 yards every game to win games, they can win without that. And I think it is a big tip of the cap to Ryan Dinwiddie because so far this season, the Argos, I, I find where their real strength is, is making teams pay for their mistakes. If they force a turnover, it seems like that's when the offense turns it on and they turn it into seven points the other way. And they did it against Saskatchewan in touchdown Atlantic as well. Uh, they had a pick six and they also uh, the Robertson Daniel interception. The next drive was a touchdown. So the Argos, if, if you're going to make mistakes, you're going <laughs> to pay for those mistakes in a hurry. And that's exactly what Calgary did in their long run of success. That's what Winnipeg's been doing for the past four or five years is yeah. when the team makes a mistake, they, they turn it into points. And right now, Toronto's doing that better than anybody. Yeah, they are. And uh, it's what they did against Saskatchewan, beating them 31-13. And, I mean, the Riders were actually able to move the ball. I, I don't know if you know this, Joe, <laughs> but the most popular player in Saskatchewan is usually the backup quarterback. <laughs> Unless he's playing. 
and then it's the yeah, next that's guy. true. That's true. <laughs> that, then it moves on to the other backup quarterback. But Mason Fine, he had 300 yards passing, and I, I felt like maybe the adjustments that the Riders made in the game were absolutely non-existent. Uh, Winton McManus was in the backfield almost all game long, and you know some of that's up to uh, Mason Fine to recognize that that there's a blitzer coming and there's going to be pressure in his face. But again, it's only his fourth career start and it's not his fault. Jamal Morrow uh, fumbled the ball on the goal line. It's not yep. his fault. That's, Javon that's Leak. Seven points off the board because he was right there. Yeah. Javon Leak returned one to the house. And then there was another play. I think it was third and goal. Uh, Mason Fine and Braden Lenius. I think maybe they, they played the, uh, play a little bit differently because you know the CFL, the goalposts can get in the way. But I think that was a catchable ball by Braden Lenius. So they did move the ball. They just didn't finish drives. And that is another thing that the Argos do so well. Sixes instead of threes. And that's a big key to winning games, obviously. Yeah, so Saskatchewan's in the pile with everybody else chasing those last playoff spots. Uh they ha- do have hope that Trevor Harris will be back at some point this season. So that's going to be a ways away, though, from the looks of things. What do they have going for them right now? Their defense. They, they've they turned it on. Like, they, at the beginning of the year, I think the criticism was that uh, the D-line wasn't getting enough pressure. But since Trevor Harris went down, they've really stepped up they kept them in the bc game a couple weeks ago they were getting after vernon adams and vernon ended up getting pushed out of the game i think in his five pass attempts he got hit four times Uh, dane evans came in he continued to get hit and their defense limited the argo offense a lot here which sounds crazy when a team puts up 31 points you're like what but again off of turnovers or directly because of turnovers yeah, Chad Kelly, he, he had 122 passing yards. <laughs> and, and Which AJ goes Olette was... to show you that Ryan Dinwiddie is not going to ask him to do more than he has to. Yeah, and A.J. Olette was held to under four yards a carry. So, and I know Andrew Harris had success, and he moved to fifth all-time in the all-time rushing yards list. But the Ryder defense was giving Toronto a lot of problems and they put them in the position to win the game they didn't obviously but the defense is something they do have going for them and also special teams it was uneven in this game the coverage was terrible and they uh since the calgary game when mario alford had uh, two return touchdowns hasn't had too much success i think bc and toronto focused in on that and have limited him but he's one of the most electric players in the CFL. If they get him going and the defense keeps it up, it's just up to the offense. You gotta keep moving yep. the ball and, and crossing and the goal gonna, line. And they're gonna face some teams that aren't going to be stepping on every single mistake they make and making them pay for it. There's only a few teams in the league that do that this year. And yeah. they're gonna they're gonna run up against some teams that are gonna that are aren't going to capitalize and they're gonna be right in it. Hey, look, I mean, Sean Bain had 10 catches, 144 yards in a touchdown. Last week, he had 10 catches on 10 targets for over 70 yards. 20 catches on 22 targets in two weeks? That's crazy. He's doing something right. He's actually a guy, and 
and everybody that listens to the show knows I'm a Bomber fan, so I'm not one apt to root for the Riders' success. Yeah. At the same time, I enjoy watching Sean Bain play. He's fast. Yeah, and we, we saw it with Calgary, and uh, it's weird since Trevor Harris came down. I mean, I, Bain had a big play. I think a 60-yard touchdown against Calgary early in the season, but since Harris went down, they really got him more involved. But do you want to see more Jake Jake Dolagala at the end of the game? The Riders put him in four for five, a hundred yards and a touchdown. I mean, his arm, he's six foot seven. He seems accurate. Although at that point, like you said, I think the Argos, they, they didn't want Chad Kelly to do more than he had to. And I think maybe they played some vanilla defense as well. They don't want to put more on film than they have to either. Right. Right. By the end of the game, it's just you're going to coast into a win when you're up 25 that late. So understood. We did see Jake Dolagala last year in the COVID game. Yeah, yeah. And he does look the part. He certainly does. I'd like to see him in more extended action. But he seems to have the at least some of the physical tools. We'll, we'll see as you, you never know what a guy is actually going to do when he goes out in the, until he goes out in the field and does it. I just remember a, the Bombers had a quarterback named Brian Brom that looked like the prototype. Second round draft pick in the NFL. There was a reason for that. But there was also a reason why Brian Brom lost his lost a backup job that was basically handed to him to the seventh round pick that same season. Mm. And then just a guy can look the part as much as he wants and get, keep getting opportunities. But until you see him actually do it, it's all it is. It seems like, and it's actually, I think, happened a couple times this year against the Argos, where uh, they have a big lead, and then the opposing team decides to throw in their number two quarterback, and they end up having a couple touchdowns, and then it's like, whoa, what's going on here? It happened... Uh, against Edmonton, <laughs> right? Jared it, it earned Jared Daggy a start. <laughs> it did, and then that start did not go well. It's just a completely different animal when you're preparing all week to to run the number one offense. When you're down by twenty four or whatever it is, and you come into the game and you just start slinging passes left and right, you could look good. But then when you get the number one job, uh, it seems to be a different animal on these quarterbacks. Well, it'll either be Deggy or Trey Ford for Edmonton the next time they play, uh, because for the second time this season, Edmonton was shut out by BC. Now, a lot of that has to do with BC's defense just being fantastic. There's also a little bit of Edmonton can't play offense in there, too. (laughs) They they just find new ways. I was at this game... And I just couldn't believe the amount of penalties. Now, some of them are, uh, let's call it ticky-tack. But a lot of the stuff is basic and preventable, whether it's a receiver being offside or they had two no-yards calls. That's free 30 yards on two calls right there. They had 139 yards penalties in the first half. Um, I think the CFL record is 192 yards. I think the early riders did that. 
Um, they I was going to say, closing. you almost need a brawl for that to happen. Well, that's what I figured. A couple ejections, it adds up in a hurry, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they finished with 177 yards penalties, 100 more than the Lions. I don't care how good you are. You're probably not going to overcome that. You're not overcoming that if you're a good team. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like once it's like Indiana Jones, the big boulder rolling through, you know, chasing Indy. It's like once that thing starts for Edmonton, it's just they can't stop it. No, they don't have. They just don't have it where they can snap out of out of things rolling out of control. They don't have uh, they don't have it in part as part of their team fabric to go, Okay, let's stop the slide. It's just not there. And it's weird because they have playmakers like Kevin Brown looked great in limited time last year. And this one, he had five carries for five yards, which I think credit to BC because last week they held Jamal Morrow to 11 yards on 12 carries. So do the math. (laughs) 17 carries and uh, 16 yards to the starting running backs in two weeks. That that almost feels like it's mathematically impossible. But uh, uh, Kyron Moore, Stephen Dunbar, uh, Dylan Mitchell, who had a great season last year, and he seems to be picking it up a little bit. And he had a 54-yard catch here. And I know Geno Lewis is hurt, but they have guys that are able to move the ball. But it just goes to show when your offensive line is struggling, and you keep playing or making undisciplined penalties, you're you're not going to be able to get anything done. And that's just the blueprint for Edmonton because their defense has the ability to keep them in games. Yeah, and their their defense can get to the passer. That's going to disrupt a lot of CFL offenses, but they can't. They can't be the entire team. They by the third quarter they're dragging usually, and that's what Winnipeg did to them a couple weeks ago. Edmonton stayed in the game for three quarters, and then Winnipeg yeah. was just like our game now, and just kept feeding Brady Oliveira. And by that time, they'd been on the field too long to stop them. Yeah, Dane Evans got sacked five times, and the BC offense had the ball for a full quarter more than the Elks. 37 minutes to 22 minutes and change for the time of possession Uh, to overcome that. I don't see how you can do it. And to talk about Taylor Cornelius, he just looks like he has lost his confidence. No, and he's a player where a change of scenery would do him a lot of good at this point. Because I think it he, would. Yeah, he, he he does have the physical talent. Accuracy is an issue. That's probably never going to change. But he might be a useful player when he's out of the limelight in Edmonton. It's the same thing that happened with Dane Evans last year, where it just the situation got away from him. And Dane Evans has come back, and he's being a decent backup in, in Vancouver right now. He's doing the job. It'd be nice if he was out of the crosshairs in Edmonton and had a chance to restart somewhere else to see what he can do because he's been put in a terrible situation for the last couple of seasons. 
I want to see him in a different setting and see if he can if he can turn it around. It's almost like he's become the symbol of the losing streak, right? Uh, and that's exactly the problem because that's he's the target now. He needs to get out of that environment. Let's see him somewhere else and see if it's the environment or if he just can't do the job. I think I'm not ready to give up on him entirely yet. He's got a great arm and he seems to definitely have success when he uses his legs. And, and he had a great throw in this one uh, to Kyron Moore, where he had pressure in his face and he just floated it over the linebacker into Kyron Moore's arms. And I think it ended up being a uh, 31 yard catch. It was right before the end of the first half there. But then when they start to get down, he like shoulders the blame or puts all the pressure on himself and he just makes terrible decisions. Um, and they actually got away with the couple where he, he almost had a lateral pass that he got hit as he was throwing. To me, it looked like a fumble. And there was another one where he was getting sacked. And he did the, you know, try to flip it to the receiver. He gets picked off. It's called back on a pass interference. But you you can't do that stuff. And No, and he should have learned that lesson a long time ago. What that happened, I think, in the Hamilton game. A couple weeks ago, uh, Hamilton, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) as a Ryder fan, he beat Saskatchewan last year. He almost beat him this year if it weren't for... A rouge. <laughs> a rouge. And then the week one, they were on the one. Couldn't punch it in. Yeah. So Saskatchewan right now, those two games, by the way, are with Trevor Harris. So just marginally better than Edmonton <laughs> at this point. Um, I, and the Boo Birds were out in Edmonton. And I don't know if it's Jones di- displaying stubbornness or trying to prove a point. Or the alternative, just to try to try to see thing be a devil's advocate in this situation. Maybe Jones knows Cornelius is the best he's got. Well, and that's what he has said, and that's what he has said that he's the best guy in practice. He had a great training camp, but at some point, when you're zero and eight, and Taylor Cornelius has. Uh, his record is like four and twenty-three or something crazy like that. There's so many quarterbacks that come and go in the CFL to get a start or two, and they get shifted off into no man's land. But he's got a great opportunity, and it's just not working. So at some point, <laughs> Trey Ford won a game last year in Hamilton, a tough place to play. Uh, and I know the Tie Cats didn't perform up to expectations last year either. But he got a win, and and that's the that's the column that matters at the end of the day. No matter how you do it, you got to get wins. And it looks like they're going to go with Jared Dagey first, with Jarius Jackson uh, making the play calls when the Elks come off the bye against the Bombers next week. Not exactly the team that is they that want a to trap? Come off the bye <laughs> we'll it see. I, I I have thoughts about this next week's game too, but. Maybe it's a trap if Winnipeg show Winnipeg has a better showing against BC this week. But if they don't, then there's nothing to be trapped on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, 
Still credit to the Lions, though. Taquan Mizell comes back, and he has 117 yards rushing, and he, he has 30 yards receiving, including a touchdown, and Justin McKinnis has a touchdown. And I mean, even when the Elks have opportunities, I, I don't know. Did you catch that where Lucky Whitehead makes the catch, and then in the process of transferring the ball under his arm, he drops it, the Elks defense picks it up, returns it to the house. It ends up being reviewed and called an incomplete pass rather than a fumble. To me, that was catch and fumble all day. Yeah. Uh, I've struggled for years to figure out what's actually catch and what's not. So I'm just going to, I'm going to just throw up my hands on that one. <laughs> he clearly had it in his hands. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where literally nothing went Edmonton's way. No, they couldn't even get that break. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's just the football gods are just looking down on Edmonton right now. And it, I don't know how they get out of this funk. And it, I, I think with 10 games left on the season, other teams are looking at themselves like they don't want to be. We don't want to be. We know? don't want to be the one. <laughs> exactly. And. Honestly, the way it looks right now, it looks like they could steal one with Calgary in the Labor Day back-to-back, and they could steal one from Saskatchewan uh, in September. There has to be a couple wins, right? There, there, there could be, but I need to see something. <laughs> I need to see their offense score points on a consistent basis before I'm going to think about that. Yeah, that's they're on that's my it. list of do not pick until. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I don't know why. I, I thought that they had a better shot against uh, BC, and I actually picked Edmonton to win just because you want to be the one that gets it right when they finally do. <laughs> but uh, you're right. I, I'm I'm probably done picking them <laughs> and pick no. them going forward here. No, at least, at least unless the, there's a situation that looks too good to be true. Calgary, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Hey, yeah. But I mean, the fact that we're even talking about Calgary as a potential team for Edmonton to beat speaks to the, how much they've struggled this year. And the scary thing is, though, they could just as easily be five and two. They could. They've had some bad breaks this year and bad decisions at the end of games. Isn't that the theme? Uh, bad decisions from Jake Mayer? Um, and, and look, that's Edmonton. Like they, they, they're able to put pressure on the quarterback. If they're able to pressure Jake Mayer and force him into, uh, situations where he has to make quick and tough decisions, he might make a mistake and he made mistakes here against the Montreal Alouettes. And I guess overall, I think Montreal has beaten Calgary five of the last six or six of the last seven when Calgary goes to Percival Molson. So it is a tough place to play, even though the, the Alouettes had no offensive touchdowns. We, we talk about, you know, finishing drives. I guess the Alouettes didn't need to. Well, Calgary just sure didn't either. So. Yeah, you didn't have to. This <laughs> was true. a field goal fest. Six on both sides. The one major is a is an interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, Montreal did just enough to win, and Calgary did just enough to lose. That's exactly it. And and they were trading. We'll get there at the end of the game. Strange decisions 
I thought. Um, the Stampeders, they were picking on a matchup that I think it was Toronto really took advantage of a few weeks ago. And it was, I believe they had David Ungerer on KB and Ento of the uh, Alouettes and Ungerer had two touchdowns. But Ento really struggled in this game. And Calgary went after that. Well, Ento steps up. He has a 53-yard interception return for a touchdown, and they picked him off. They picked on him right to the end of the game. The final drive for the Stampeders, they went to Mark and Michelle, broken up by KB and Ento. They went to Reggie Bagleton, <laughs> broken up by KB and Ento. He was and all over the field. Former Packer on former Packer crime there too for those wow. for my for my three listeners from Wisconsin. so i mean that's a matchup stamps were trying to exploit in uh in this game and i mean they had reggie bagleton going he had 102 yards eight catches trey odoms dukes had 87 yards but you're right The, the big stat there is the the two interceptions and no touchdowns for jake mayer and uh both coming at inopportune times for that Stampeder offense. And for the first time in, what, almost 20 years, Calgary is the team making the critical mistakes and not taking advantage of them. It's amazing how quickly that changed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It feels like it happened overnight. When, when half of the veteran Stampeders went to Toronto and are now succeeding there, <laughs> I guess that doesn't hurt. Uh, but I, where we saw the Alouettes really succeeding here is they were on a pace to allow Cody Fajardo to break his own record on uh, getting sacked last year. And the Stampeders only forced one sack. No, and they so, weren't getting in his face at all. The Alouettes, that is a big positive for them. And he had... And you'll be familiar with the term game manager. He had a very Matt Nichols type game, you know, 16 of 29, 158 yards, but no turnovers. You'll get to nine and nine doing that. And right now that's good enough to host a playoff game. Probably. I think the owls are okay with 500. And given that how much turmoil there was this off season, I think that would be, I think that would be a victory there. Maybe not next Being, year. Give them, give them a year yeah. to kind of pick out of that. But they found a way after they lost a chunk of their team because of ownership issues to patch those holes and come out and be about the same as they were last year, which is really good considering where they were in February. They could have come into this year with a healthy William Stanback, Trevor Harris, Geno Lewis, and Jake Winicky, and and three out of the four of those guys gone. Uh, and maybe they would have lost one or two anyway uh, with uh, Edmonton willing to pay Geno Lewis that kind of money. And but, but credit, I mean, to Danny Machocha for bringing in a guy like Austin Mack, who has had a great start to the season. He, I think he was a focus of Calgary's defense. He only had 37 yards in this one. But much like Calgary played the Ento matchup, I think Montreal was playing the Brad Muhammad 
matchup who made his return to the Stampeders after getting re- released in training camp. And they went to him early and Kayon Julian Grant had a 31 yard reception on him. He had five for 71 as the Alouette's leading receiver. Um, but they, they went with Julian Grant and Austin Mack as their number one and number two receivers. It's worked out for them so it far. Sure and it sure has. And now Tyson Philpot back onto the roster. And he only had, he didn't have a catch and just the one target here. But the key, Joe, I think, was getting William Stan back going. And this was his best game of the year. It, it took a lot longer than we thought it would to get him going. But if they could stay going, yeah. Second place is there for the taking. And you get yeah. there, you got a home playoff game, and then you go to Toronto. I mean, unless the house caves in on Toronto, which could happen. There's always that scenario, but likely they're going to Toronto for the East final if they get there. But all it takes is one game. And then you're in Hamilton for the great cup. So I think if uh, you're a Montreal fan, you're, you're taking that after your off season. I think they got overlooked by most of the pundits across the country. I'm sure there are some Alouette, uh, uh, friendly media folks that are saying, I told you so, but <laughs> I kind of get, I kind of have a little bit of that going myself because oh, I you picked do? them over, I picked them over Hamilton in Ottawa. So I picked them wow. for because well I didn't done, see, man. I didn't see any changes out of Hamilton and then Ottawa at the start of the season. They were short Mazzoli. They were short Santos Knox. They're still short Mazzoli. Yeah. Better than I expected, I but still kind of a lesson for everyone when there's all these changes sometimes it's not the best and it almost takes into the second year for things to really uh settle down uh standback had almost six yards of carry so that's kind of vintage standback there they went to him early i think in true jason moss fashion they got away from it a little bit he could have had an even bigger game and i was hoping for a bigger game because he was on my fantasy team. But uh, <laughs> I, I was happy with how we started the game. But I, I want to go to the end of the game where uh, <laughs> I, I kind of had to shake my head at this uh, decision by Jason Moss. So here's the deal. It's second and seven. one sixteen to go. And... The Stampeders have no timeouts. The, the the Alouettes are leading by a touchdown. And even Paul Lapolis, who made his debut as the color commentator, said the Owls need to have a play that keeps the clock going. Run the ball, run a screen, whatever. And they throw it deep. <laughs> and I can't say that the play call was bad because Kayon Julian Grant was wide open. The execution was bad because they didn't connect. And they then stopped the clock and gave Calgary an opportunity to uh, get the ball back on Montreal's 32-yard line. After the with... nice return, yeah. That, yeah. I thought, and anytime you're within three minutes and one score, it's never over. But exactly. I thought Mayer's pick was at least the beginning at the end, and it ended up being the beginning of the end, but only by the slimmest of margins. You're right. You're, you're totally right there. And so they have another opportunity and 
Montreal takes a roughing the passer on second and 10. Calgary ball at the 17 with 31 seconds to go. And you give Calgary that chance five years ago, and they're killing you. Yep. Yep. Even on second and three with 23 seconds to go, the pass is broken up. And then third and three, Jake Mayer, he looked like he had an open receiver. He looked like he had about 40 yards of free field to run three yards for the first down and have another shot at the end zone. But he passes it to the back of the end zone. Luther Hockenavanu, no shot at getting the ball. And game over. Montreal wins 25-18. But there was a couple head-scratching decisions on both sides, including Dave Dickinson challenging a pass interference. But later on in the game, Mark and Michelle makes a catch. It's called incomplete because they said it bounced off the turf. Well, Dave lost his challenge and didn't have a challenge left on that play. So the reward of challenges absolutely. is lost on CFL head coaches. Yeah, they, they seem to really be struggling. <laughs> like, if you remember the Calgary-Saskatchewan overtime game, they both saved their challenges for overtime and randomly challenged. And, and then threw it out there because why not? It's not like yeah. you can keep it for the next game. But, but when they actually needed it and would probably succeed on a challenge, they, they didn't have it anymore. No. So <laughs> it's, like if it's you're going to challenge early, you better be right. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it's not easy to be a coach, and we can say that watching from our couches on 55-inch screens, but... <laughs> There was some critical mistakes made in this one. Uh, but Montreal, I guess, made the second last mistake and uh, ended up winning the game as a result. Sometimes that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, before I lose you here, let's go ahead and hit next week's games real quick. I've been sitting here puzzling BC at Winnipeg for a day, and I can't figure out what I'm going to do here. Because you have BC coming into a short week into Winnipeg. Normally, that's a, you take Winnipeg on that every time. Except BC's defense scares our living daylights out of me. Six points the last time these two teams played in Winnipeg. And Dane Evans will be the starter, which means BC's less likely to cough it up at random in my brain. So the I'd chances like... for Winnipeg to tur- to take to to make BC pay for a mistake dwindled there. Now, at the same time, it'll be harder for BC to make Winnipeg pay for a mistake, but their defense is going to force a few. I, I do feel like BC's defensive line has slowed down a little bit um, as far as pass rushing especially Matthew Betts. He was on an unsustainable pace. Uh, He didn't have a sack against Edmonton, believe it or not, and he had the one against Saskatchewan on the last play of the game. Um, And those were two struggling teams. I feel like Winnipeg... uh, Remember they had this high-flying offense in weeks one and two, and BC just stopped them. Mm -hmm. Are they going to be able to do that again? It's changed the entire dynamic of the season, it feels like, for Winnipeg. Because they've kind of gone back to last year, where they have flashes of dominance. And usually those show up early and in the fourth quarter. 
didn't happen against Ottawa for some reason, but they mm-hmm. were dominant most of the game before that. Um, but yeah, the first two weeks, they were just scoring at will. And then all of a sudden, now it's a struggle again. Now, mind you, Winnipeg struggles, guys, compared to every other team's struggles, they're, they're slightly different things we're talking about here. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I think in the end, I'm going with Winnipeg because I feel like they've, it, for the first time in a long time, have something to prove to everybody else. People are starting to write them off, saying that uh, the offensive line's too old, uh, their core their core is too old as a whole, and yeah, they'll, they'll be playing with a chip on their shoulders. Zach is not going to want to be limited to six points again at home. Yeah, you, you can't allow that again so i expect it to be a good and close game vernon adams jr could play as far as i gather they they said he would only miss one start we'll we'll see what happens but either way the lions only really get kind of one full practice after playing on saturday and then uh, going on the road so that's big advantage winnipeg and i think teams are six or seven and one off the bye so far this year and I think Winnipeg's got a good shot at continuing that trend for teams off the bye. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm feeling just a little bit more comfortable than I was a few minutes ago about picking Winnipeg, but I'm also not putting money on it, so that helps. <laughs> and they have to have Brady running the ball because the the running backs the last couple of weeks got nothing done against the Lions. They'll need to have success, and I know Kenny Lawler being back. That's a difference from the game earlier in the year. Um, but still, they have to have some semblance of running game against the Lions to win this one. Okay, now going to the next game. Calgary is, what, nine-point underdogs at home? When's the last Whoa. time that happened? Against the Argos? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. But it, I can't also say it's wrong either. Um the Argos, they've given up passing yards. So, I mean, Jake Mayer has the ability to put up yards. Can he limit the turnovers? That's what this comes down to. And uh, even though the Argos have given up yards here and there, they've got a ball-hawking secondary. That yep. And I'm <laughs> going to say Jake Mayer has to prove it to me that he won't throw it to, to uh, the blue instead of the red mm-hmm. this week. So I think Toronto's the easy pick in this one for me. Yeah, I'll be picking Toronto. Uh, The stats are actually pretty crazy this year with the East winning 8 of 12 against the West. And the road teams, I believe, are one game over 500 as well. So that's both going in Toronto's favor as they travel. And that's going directly against the grain of how it always has been. So that's even crazier. (laughs) I know we're before Labor Day, but these trends are pretty wild so far. All right, so we got Montreal going into Hamilton. We've seen Hamilton's defense start to pick up their pace. I guess my question is for them this week, is the pass rush going to be enough to knock Cody Fajardo off his game, or are they going to let him him stand back there all day and deliver the ball? Because to me, that's the big question of this game. Honestly, it's the big question of any Montreal game. And then Taylor Powell. Um, 
starting for the Tiger Cats. And James Butler at times has looked dominant in the running game for the Tiger Cats at other times. When they'll let they him got, play. <laughs> yeah, they, they got nothing going. You, you'd think logically that they would get him the ball more for the young quarterback. But th- I think this game is really <laughs> a toss up. Uh, a little I see this one going either way. It's all you're right, it's all on that tie cat defense. Are they going to be able to force Cody Fajardo off his game? Yep, and if he stays on his game, I see Montreal winning this, and I don't see how they knock him off of that. They've been solid tackling, they did a really good job against the mobile quarterback last week. But Cody Fajardo isn't a mobile quarterback anymore, it's just not there anymore. He's got some elusiveness in the backfield it's just not he's not the same quarterback that took over in Saskatchewan in 2019 as far as his running ability goes a lot more hits on him since 2019 just a few but but he uh he's still willing like if there's space and we've seen him slide a few times this year if there's space He'll go take the first down and give what the defense uh, take what the defense has given him. I'm leaning Montreal right now, but there's a lot of time between now and the Saturday. Oh, yeah. I could change my mind again. Another <laughs> one I'm not throwing a cent at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not throwing a cent at this last game of the week either. I have no idea. No, Ottawa at Saskatchewan, <laughs> battle of backup quarterbacks. We've seen what happens when Dustin Crum is limited in the running game some and isn't allowed to run freely. Although, really, we saw that in the first half of Winnipeg's game, too, where Crum didn't have an outlet because the entire Winnipeg defense was gathered around him. When that stopped happening, he had holes and he made them pay. So I guess the question is, can Saskatchewan keep him from doing what he wants to do the most, which is take one read, see if there's an open receiver. If there's not, try to run for 10, 15 yards. I think the riders, and this is just anecdotally, I don't have any stats to share that. I think they struggle against running QBs that Taylor Cornelius. He's not the biggest running QB. I don't think we really think of him that he has the ability to do it. He's been like almost Saskatchewan's Achilles heel. They, they struggle with him. Crumb might be able to have that sort of success against the Riders, but the Rider defenses, they've been a different defense over the past couple of weeks. I feel like they're shouldering some of the pressure since Trevor Harris has gone down, and they're going to have to have another stellar game if they're going to beat those Red Blacks. And they probably also want to double Nate Bahar in every play. Because <laughs> that seems to be where Crum wants to go. Yeah, he went that way at the end of the game uh, last week. It didn't work out. I think the Ticats kind of had it telegraphed. Casey Sales on the D line. Uh, Riders don't have uh, you know a Willie Jefferson on the o, or the D line to throw his hands up at those passes. But you're right, Nate Bahar, one of those reliable guys that uh, Crum looks to, and the Red Blacks in general look to in clutch situations. It's been fun to watch this year. Uh, Hey, the, the Red Blacks, believe it or not, they have the worst pass defense in the CFL. They've given up over 800 passing yards in the past couple games, 350 to uh, Bo Mitchell, 450 to Jake Mayer. Was it? Yeah, yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. He threw for over 400. So 
the Riders have the chance to move the ball. It's just and they look, they, and they did last week too. Yeah, yeah. They they had 400 yards passing between two quarterbacks against Toronto. Just don't turn it over. And uh, they actually have a chance. I, this, I, I think I'll probably take the under in this game. I don't know who I'm going to pick to win, but I'm probably, I, I, I see it being a field goal battle between Lewis Ward and Brett Lothar. And in that situation, I'm taking the home team. Yeah. And in this case, it's in Saskatchewan, so I'll go there. Flip, flip them, and I'm thinking Ottawa. But if it's that close, I'll just go with the home team as the default there. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm gonna lock it in uh, on Saskatchewan ever so cautiously <laughs> for the Sunday I, night I, I game. I can imagine. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't see the logo, but I'm wearing a Ryder jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on this week, getting us through another week of Oz gallivanting across the world. Here, uh, where can everybody find you? Uh. I don't know. Do we even bother promoting Twitter or X anymore? <laughs> Maybe we'll just say where you get the show. Yeah, uh, you can probably better. <laughs> you can get it on any uh, podcatcher. Um, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We release Mondays and Thursdays, and we also put it up on uh, YouTube as well. So you, I don't know why, but if you want to see our handsome faces, me and Brazilian Ty talking about CFL football, you can find Two and Out CFL Podcast on YouTube too. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the event that gave Brazilian Ty's name, uh, <laughs> his name is not on YouTube. Actually, that might Thankfully. be fortunate. That might be fortunate. But, that uh, is fortunate. <laughs> I will. Uh, we'll let you go. This has been the Rouge, White, and Blue. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.